Kim. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Keyshawn Gilbert gets thrown down by Grant, no call. And then they call a little tiny ticky-tack on Keyshawn. Keyshawn got absolutely thrown down to the floor. This is the press box. Keyshawn able to pick up the loose ball, however. Keyshawn underneath the ham. Ham puts it up, no good. No foul call. Are you kidding me? Counsel the other way. He's going to lob to Dennis and threw it over his head. And Royce Ham can't believe he missed it. He also can't believe there wasn't a foul call. With Grady and Bischoff. ATN quickly in the front court. And oh they call a blocking foul on Keyshawn Gilbert. And Kevin Kruger cannot believe it. And oh my God. ETN lost the ball out of bounds. And Keyshawn Gilbert is beside himself on that call. And so are the Rebel coaches. I mean, that is absolutely, I mean, Keyshawn was there, ETN pushes off, and they call a foul on Gilbert. That is atrocious. On ESPN Las Vegas. 3.4 to go, Rebels with the final chance. Pass up ahead to Baker. Baker front court, Baker gets pushed down, no call, and a loose ball. No, oh my gosh. The Rebels have the game absolutely stolen from them. That was absolutely Raiders really looked bad yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) It was a bad game by the Raiders. Larceny. I'll tell you what, it's a bad game. No larceny in the Raiders game. They just stunk. (laughs) Um, We're going to get to UNLV football and basketball later in the show, but come on, we know what we have to start with. The first bite. Has Derek Carr played his way out of a Raiders uniform? Man, I'll tell you what, I don't think they're going to make a change for the Dallas game, and I'm not so sure they absolutely should, but I wrote today, and I do think if things keep sliding that way, don't you have to see, given how much money you've paid Marcus Mariota, what you have in him at some point if it keeps sliding this way? It's a fun question. Um, I think it's legitimate. But it goes to the idea of who's making decisions for this team and what what's their objective because you can look at this organization right now and basically assume that they're cleaning house at the end of the year. Absolutely. Rich Bisaccia, Greg Olson, Gus Bradley, even that those guys are not going to be here. And Mike Mayock, Mike Mayock. And so if that's the case, if you've got the guys that are making these decisions, uh, all looking at this in terms of a, Oh, wow. I've got, you know, seven games left of this. It's, they don't care about the future. They don't care about how much money's sunk into Marcus Mariota. They're going to care about, okay, how, how how do I win a game on Thursday against Dallas or the next week or whatever week it is? How do I win a game and try to save my job is what it is. And if that's the motivation, then it's probably Derek Carr the rest of the way. It's probably what happens. Now, I think they should probably at some point play Marcus Mariota. I thought they should have done it last year when Derek Carr got hurt. And they were out of the playoffs. And for whatever reason, Derek Carr came back and it was all Derek Carr still. They should probably play Marcus Mariota and see, hey, can this guy do anything differently? But uh, ultimately, I don't think they will because the decision making is from a bunch of guys who are going to have short term thinking because they're probably losing their jobs at the end of the year. Yeah, that's a great point, Um, because if it is the case that that's the way they're thinking, they really don't care if Mariota is going to be a bridge anyway. Yeah, right. Um, they don't care. The other thing I will say this, if and when, I truly believe this, and I was talking to a couple writers yesterday, uh, one of them, I won't, you know, don't want to call him out because I don't know if he wants to be called out, but 
uh, made a great point. If and when they make the switch, you've lost Derek Carr for good. If yeah. they make that switch, it's over for Derek Carr. And I think we both believe that it might be over for him after this year anyway with the Raiders. But let's say they lose this week and, you know, you get about a week and a half to prepare for the Washington football team and they're just like, okay, five and six, let's look at them or let's let's give them a shot. Uh, once you make that move, you've lost them. So I, now I don't think that should be – I don't know if that should be the reason you don't make the move. Um, I'm not saying that, but I do think that's true. I think he's the kind of – the kind of guy and the kind of quarterback that if he's ever benched and look, unless they're like, you know, five and 10 or something. And you know, he just kind of sees the writing on the wall then it's like, it doesn't matter. But if they do it before then to where they're mathematically eliminated, you've lost them. At this point, does that matter if you lose him? He has not been mm-hmm. good for three straight games. Like we talked a lot about the early part of this season. The Raiders got off to a five and two start in the two losses, Derek Carr didn't look good, right? He played poorly against the Chargers, played poorly against uh, the Bears. But in the five wins, he looked phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was like top five quarterback in the league in their first in their first five wins of the season. But we've now seen three straight games where he has more turnovers than he does touchdowns. He is not thrown for 300 yards. He does not have a game where he's over, you know, eight plus yards per attempt. His last two games before Sunday were his two lowest graded by PFF on the entire season. PFF grades aren't updated yet for this week, but I'm willing to bet that game's going to be also one of his three worst of the season. Sure, we saw early in the year Derek Carr playing really well, but the way he's playing recently, I wouldn't care if I lost Derek Carr for yeah. good. I'd be like, yeah, okay. Like you're a. He even said it. He's a big reason why they're losing. He's mm-hmm. a big reason why the offense isn't any good. And so if your objective is to save your job, save the season, make the playoffs, the way Derek Carr's playing, benching him would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Not arguing with you. I just don't think they will. Yeah. And I here's just the don't thing. think they will. The offense the last three weeks has scored between 13 and 16 points. Yeah, they average in their losses, they average 13.2. They're not scoring. Right. Like, this is it's, – it's pathetic what's happening with the offense where they cannot score. They have become so bad, so passive, they can't convert third downs. They would they go 0 for 15 before one of those final drives? 14. 14. Between last week and this yeah. week, they, they missed on 14 straight. That's, that's unbelievable to not convert on that many in a row. And, and believe me, they weren't all third and tens. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I mean, they had a third and one and they handed it off to Brian Edwards yeah, on, on, a, on, an a, end on, around. A, on a, an end around. Is Brian Edwards the slowest receiver on the yeah. team? I mean, just one time line up and get it. They had a third and seven and he checks into a run. I yeah. mean, they're just doing bizarre things. It has become such a Bad offense, and Derek Carr's a big reason why. Now, listen, you bring in Marcus Mariota. If you're still running into rounds to your slowest wide receiver matter. on third and yeah, one, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who the quarterback is. But conceivably, here's the here's the entire thought process on Marcus Mariota. He can run. He can use his legs, and that is going to help you in short yardage situations because you can simply call like a zone read, and that's going to potentially freeze at least one defender. There's going to be one defender you're going to win over on the play because he's worried about Marcus Mariota. And if that defend, if they don't have that one defender, then Mariota just pulls the zone read and runs for the first down, right? That's the general idea exactly. of Marcus Mariota in short yardage situations, which is what, you know, hell, John Gruden talked about it before the season even started, about using Mariota more in those situations. We haven't really seen it. We've seen but it they once won't. or twice. And but now the conversation is about: Does Mariota give you a chance, not just in third or sh- third and short or whatever? Does he give you a chance 
for the entirety of the game over Derek Carr. And the way Carr's been playing, yeah, he probably does. I mean, could he could Mariota have been worse yesterday? Not really. What did Carr have one good drive where yeah. he threw it to Darren Waller? He had and one then good drive, the touchdown to him twice, and then Moreau. That, um, I'm sick, and I, I got to be honest, I'm just sick and tired of the uh, Basaccia and Gruden before him saying they have a, a package for this guy. I'm so sick and tired of hearing them say they have packages for Marcus Mariota, and I, we never see Marcus Mariota. What are the packages? We saw the one option play. We saw one. We saw one package, and I think it got called back. No, it, which one got called back when he came in? Which was just absolute buffoonery. Like third and one. Yeah, and someone jumps. We've and it's seen. Like, what I are think you doing? we've seen three total Mariota snaps. The first one of the season where he got hurt. We saw a successful option play. And then they tried to run another Mariota play, and they got called for a false start, right. and they backed him up. And I can't remember if it was fourth down, and they punted, or if it was third down, and they brought Derek Carr back in. But that's... They brought Derek Carr back in from his wide receiver position. <laughs> to hand it off to Kenyon Drake yes, on third exactly. Seven. Check in to, to <laughs> was Kenyon the game Drake. plan there. But it is, yeah, it's like this offense has been very bad. Because here's, here's the thing. We talk about short yardage, but it's also the red zone where they've been bad. Oh, that atrocious. game started. The Raiders recovered okay. a fumble. Dolan Levitt gets tackled inside the 10, and the Raiders went backwards. They. Like... <laughs> I, 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 we're sitting in the press press. You get the fumble. It's like, wow, what a start. You got first and goal from the nine. Run play, two passes in the flat. And on three plays, they didn't throw to the end zone one time. This... And we're just sitting up there saying, what? When you bunch the field like that on swing pass, you have to have a lot of guys blocking really well to get near the end zone. The Darren Waller one on second down, they did have two guys there to block. Now, I believe they were still outnumbered, so Carr probably shouldn't have thrown that and probably should have checked out of that. But at least that was somewhat of a screen pass. The third down one one... to Josh Jacobs, which was incomplete. Okay. What is that? Derek Carr threw the check down with zero pressure around him. I don't even I don't know what read he made down the field because he got the I don't snap know if he did. and immediately turned yes. and threw it to Jacobs on the swing pass. And he was under zero pressure. There was there was a perfectly clean pocket. He had plenty of time to stand there and let Hunter Renfro juke a guy 17 times to try to get open. And he just he just checked it down. Like it's unbelievable how much Derek Carr has regressed in the last three weeks. It's unbelievable how we went from the quarterback that finally was throwing it down the field, he had more uh, passes of 20-plus yards down the field than any quarterback in football. It was like, finally, it's changed for Derek Carr. He's pushing it down the field. And in the last three weeks, that is just gone. He is horrified to do it. Doesn't matter who the receivers are out there. Doesn't matter if it's Darren Wall out there. He will not throw the ball down the right. field, and it is killing them. And it's not even all the time, oh, well, the offensive line's not blocking well. That's not the problem all the time. He's throwing these checkdowns early. It's just like the criticism of him from two and three years ago where he was checked down car. That's what he was, and that's come back. No. Uh, I don't. Like I said, they're at Dallas on Thursday. I think it's too quick of a turnaround to make a change. I don't think they're making a change anyway. But if they did, I mean, I wouldn't fall off, and, and I'll fall off the chair and disagree with them. They're just not going to. There's and, no way they it, do because no. Rich Versace has shown he's not going to do anything aggressive. Right. And he's just coaching it out. Hey, he's, he, I don't even know if he's coaching. He's just along for the ride. How many times have he said something like, well, we got to ask Greg Olson or we got to ask Paul or Paul Gunther. We got to ask us Bradley or whatever. Like what, like Maybe what's happening? Called there? Paul Gunther. <laughs> Maybe they should call Paul Gunther. But like, it's, it, there's, I, I cannot imagine there's the only way I can imagine it is if Mike Mayock came in and made the decision. 
if for some reason Mike Mayock was guaranteed job security by Mark Davis and Mike Mayock said, all right, I'm going to be here. I don't know if you guys are. I'm going to be here. We need to see what we have for Mark Smith. That's the only way. I do not think this coaching staff at any moment is going to make the change to Marcus Mariota. Like Derek Carr is going to have to be so bad. Like we're talking Nathan Peterman, five interceptions and a half bad for that to actually happen. And I, I, he's not going to be that bad. So we're getting a full season of Derek Carr more than likely. Then, then the cleaning of the house. Yeah. Would be my assumption unless they somehow turn this around. Cause here's the fun part. They're five and five in one game out of a playoff spot. They're in the hunt. <laughs> yes. Like I think they're in 12th in the AFC because it's so bunched up. But they are one game out of a playoff hunt. Like right. if they win the next two games, they're in terrific shape yes. to make the playoffs. <laughs> so all the doom no, no. and gloom we've given you this morning, they're still five yes. and five in one game out of a spot, a playoff spot. Then they'll go to Kansas City and take another lap. <laughs> which would be the all time greatest move ever. If Rich Versace had told anyone to take a lap, it would be the greatest move ever. I can see Gruden do it. Versace, like, take a lap. Bus driver would be like, Who are you? Exactly. Are you supposed <laughs> to be on this bus? Did you get lost? Who are you? All right, coming up next, we'll jump into the Golden Knights because they keep winning. Oh, I considered it. <laughs> there was, uh, they had a, their F1 was right in front of me. I didn't want to take the chance, but I ended up faking him out and getting it to our demon. Taken at neutral ice by Roslovic. A hit for Domi into the zone. Taps it across to the left. A shot. Glove save. And it's held by Brossois. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. You heard Laurent Brossois there talking about taking a shot at the empty net there at the end of the uh, win over Columbus on Saturday. He said he considered it. Ed, would Golden Knights fans be happy or upset if Brossois scored a goal? I think they'd be upset because Flurry, I don't think, ever did. Yep, never did. Never and did. Flurry came out and even stated that that was like one of his yeah. career goals. So they'd be mad at Brossois. Yes. Can you imagine being that's, mad at the guy who had absolutely nothing thinking. to do with Mark Andre? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> He gets booed after scoring a goal. He's like, what? Yeah. Well, what, did what did I, I do? I just scored. Yeah, but it <laughs> Flowers should have done it. He should have had it. Because that was my first thought. Because we because listen, Flurry said it, like he said it in a in a press conference or something one day. And every time that the Golden Knights forced the other team to pull their goalie, right, that that became like what oh, everyone people were in watching the press, for. Yeah, everyone was watching for because it. Because you knew Flurry was thinking about right, it. You knew exactly. that he was like, oh, if I get a chance, I'm going to launch I'm one launching down the it. ice. And so it like, you know, it would have been awesome if Flurry scored a goal. Because listen, anytime a goalie scores, it's going to be yes. incredible. And so that was like the thing to watch for the last couple of years. If like Laurent Brossois is the one to do <laughs> oh. it. <laughs> Tell you what, if he doesn't leave, he'll come back and get a tribute video. It'll be one. It'll be it'll one. One action, and it'll be him throwing them in. That'll be it. That'll be the entire video. So uh, sign me up, please, for Laurent Brossois scoring. Actually, would it be better if Leonard did it? Um, I think the storyline would be better, yeah, because of the whole Flurry situation, and they chose him over Flurry. Okay. Yeah, because I don't know if anyone, for sign, does anyone care? You know, Well, they care that way. his last name's not Flurry. Right, right. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, not much. All right. We're going to talk a lot about refs on the show today. Um, <laughs> Golden Knights game-winning goal against the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
should have been called offsides, but it was not called offside. Uh, even after review, the Golden Knights goal was allowed to stand. So here's the best way to sort of break this down. Matthias Janmark was offside, was in the offensive zone before the puck and, and the puck gets played to him, right? He's offside. But the refs blow it. They completely miss it. They don't call Matias. They should have called offside. it right then. Should have called it right then. Should have been. He had, he had the puck. Right. Should have been called right away. But they didn't call it. Right. And Janmark skated back out of the offensive mm-hmm. zone. Right. He comes back into the neutral zone, which in effect makes everybody onside. Right. Right. It it you know clears out the offside. Now they should have again. They should have called it as soon as he touched the puck, offside. But. He cleared it, and that sort of resets everything. And then the Golden Knights entered the zone onside, and they end up scoring on the plate. Nick Hague breaks his stick, and it somehow ends up right to Matias Janmark. But it should have been offside initially. Columbus challenges, and they don't win the challenge, even though Janmark was clearly offside. And for whatever reason, the logic here in the the NHL's rulebook is that once Janmark skated back out of the neutral zone and basically reset the play, that they you can't challenge and review that, that everything's good to go from that point forward, even though there should have been a call on offsides when Matias Janmark was offside and touched the puck. It seems like a very dumb rule, and it does, like, the Golden Knights, maybe they end up scoring anyways because there was still, like, what, six, seven minutes left in that game. Maybe if they don't get a goal there, they end up scoring later on and winning that game. But they did get very, very lucky that the NHL rulebook is very specific about, well, once he clears out of the zone and resets, you can't review that anymore. Well, it's a stupid rule because you're not allowing yourself to correct mistakes by your guys. Right. This is where uh, sports leagues are afraid of over-reviewing things because my best guess, the logic behind this rule here is that the NHL doesn't want to have to go back and be like, well, this guy was offsides four and a half minutes before the goal. Right. We need to go back and look at this and then negate the goal and replay the game from that point. They only want it to be the the zone entry right before right. the goal. That's the only thing they want to review because otherwise you could argue, well, that guy was offside with 11 minutes to go in the period. They scored with three minutes to go in the period. You should have reviewed Like, otherwise you start talking about how far back can you go? This one, it was still very clear because it was, you know, within seconds. Well, they re-entered of them the zone and scored zone. right away. Right. But I understand the logic from the NHL. But the Golden Knights absolutely got lucky. They absolutely got a break in terms of the rule book being written such a specific way that it allowed that goal to stand, even though they were very clearly offsides shortly before it. So they're lucky. I think the amazing thing, though, the Golden Knights were awful in the first period. Like, as bad as they've played in some of these games with all these injuries, that first period was one of the worst that they have played. They were horrific. And then they dominated the Columbus Blue Jackets for 40 minutes. Like, it has been, we've gotten used to the Golden Knights being really good and kind of dominating everybody they play. They'll lose sometimes where, you know, hockey is dumb and they have all the shots, but they give up like two and one of them went in. So they've lost times because of that. But this year has been so weird where the game is, so many games have completely flipped between periods. 
where they have played so poorly in the first period or something, and then the second period, they're the best team in hockey. Like, it's been bizarre how much they've flipped or how quickly they've had some of those flips in games. Isn't that a sign of a really good team, though? That they can go in and, I guess, right themselves and figure out what they're doing wrong and come back and dominate for 40 minutes? I mean, a really good but team But again, I, I don't know suck. if it's a really good team because I don't know half the players right. on it. Right, and that's the thing. Like, <laughs> Daniil Miramanov plays yes. in that game again, and you're like, yeah. okay, uh, that guy's still playing. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a sign that the team is better than we expected despite all the injuries. And granted, they're, they are slowly getting a little bit healthier. Like Mark Stone's back. Yeah. Um, still Max Pacioretty is skating. Skating. Maybe he's coming back soon. So, like, they're getting healthier. And, and once they get healthy, I think maybe that helps correct the, hey, random periods of each game. They seem to suck. But that'll probably help getting fully healthy, but it's just been weird that we've gotten so used to this team just being good all the time. And now it's like, yeah, sometimes for 20 minutes, they're just the worst team in the league. Fewer They've guys no on the interest. horizon. Yeah. Well, it's Patrick. I mean, if, when, when, once Patrick Reddy comes back, do we ever figure out the horizon? How far away it is? I mean, I where, know we, we physically <laughs> found the distance, but like, where is the horizon? Is it, I'm is on it, it skating? Like, skated the other day in a regular jersey. I know. Does that count as being on the horizon, or is that closer than the horizon? Oh, it's closer. Is it? Yeah. Okay. It might be off the horizon. <laughs> it might be completely off. He might be completely <laughs> off the horizon. I love that. I love that, by the way, the explanation about they're all on the horizon. What does that really mean? Where is the horizon? At sea level, it's about five kilometers away or about 3.1 miles. So that's why they're always late. They that's have to walk. They're in skates. <laughs> you got to walk three miles in skates off the horizon. You want a, you want a fun fact? And this is very much taking advantage of small sample sizes here. But your fun fact of the day, Keegan Colasar has more goals this season than Mark Stone. Oh, one? One to nothing. <laughs> I'm sure if he talked about it to the media, he'd be all happy about it. Colasar or Stone? No. Colasar's not a media guy. I'll, oh, just, I'll yes. just throw that out there. He's not a media guy. And here's the thing. Mark Stone, he pulled a Keegan Colasar into the game against Columbus. He had a terrific chance and shot it right into the glove. Just no no interest in getting it into the corner. Just put it right in the very Keegan Colasar of Mark Stone to have a cre- – that's the thing about Colasar. It seems like once or twice a game, he's always got the best chance of the game oh. for the Golden Knights. And, and he doesn't and he doesn't finish. Misses. Yeah. Misses the net, just shoots it into the guy's uh pad. I don't think whatever. Anyone has better chances than Keegan Colasar. He's been unbelievable at it. Mark Stone had a Keegan Colasar chance and put it straight into the glove. No interest in scoring. So maybe Mark Stone's the new Keegan Colasar. That'd, that'd be a lot of trouble if the Golden Knights are if he's the new Keegan yeah. Colasar. You mean he's the new fighter? <laughs> no, Stone? that's Ben Hutton. Oh, Ben Hutton. We've established ben that's Hutton. Ben Hutton, who yeah. is here to fight in every game that he plays. If he doesn't fight, it's a failure of a game. <laughs> Coming up next. Oh, you want to talk about getting screwed by the refs? Larceny. Point four to go. Rebels with the final chance. Pass up ahead to Baker. Baker front court. Baker gets pushed down. No call and a loose ball. No. Oh, my gosh. The Rebels have the game absolutely stolen from them. That was absolute larceny. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Absolute larceny. Not regular larceny. Absolute larceny. UNLV <laughs> lost last night by one point 
to Wichita State. Uh, you heard John Sandler's call. That was the final play of the game. Josh Baker dribbling up the floor in the final seconds. He slipped. Uh, no, he slipped. The replay. There His was foot there out. was no contact with any no. defenders. He's Josh Baker slipped. There should and not have you, been. A call. I say this because if John was sitting in the same place he was Michigan game. I saw you on TV a couple last a couple times last night. You were behind, weren't you behind the announcers? Yeah. Okay. People are standing up, so you can't really see that I, on TV. I was watching yeah. with my son. We rewound it like three or four times. He slipped. His, yeah. His foot went out from him. I could not see live. He could have gotten punched in the face, and I wouldn't have known right. because people no, were he standing slipped. up. But on the replay, it's very, it's very obvious that he slipped. Now, five point five seconds to go. Keyshawn Gilbert just put UNLV up with a put back layup. UNLV led by one. Keyshawn Gilbert is picking up Wichita State's best player, full court. And he gets called for a foul along the sideline that gives Wichita State two free throws. Uh, ETN made both of them, and those were the game-winning points for Wichita State. Do you think UNLV got screwed by the refs on that call? No, I think it's a foul. I think you're wrong. Okay. Um, I think it's a foul. Keyshawn, that is the perfect defensive play Keyshawn Gilbert has ever made. I guarantee. Oh, there well, how many is, defensive plays has he made? Well, he's the best defender on the team. Uh, I mean, how many defensive plays has he made that you can remember? Well, he stripped the ball like three times yeah. last night. He's great defensively. I think, that is, I think it's a foul. That is a video that coaches will use to say, this is how we want mm. you to full court press. Because here's, here's the thing. Two parts of this. Number one, a defensive player is, it's, he's entitled to, it's his right to move with the ball handler. So wherever the ball handler is dribbling, wherever he's dribbling, the defensive guy can shuffle his feet and move with him. And that's exactly what Keyshawn Gilbert does. Keyshawn Gilbert does not initiate contact. The forearm of uh, ETN, ETN is what initiates the contact there. Gilbert's entitled to that space. He's entitled wherever the ball handler is going. He's allowed to move with him. And that's exactly what he does. There's a drill that basketball teams do where you pick up a guy in the full court and you have to make him turn, change his dribble, change his direction of dribble like three times before they get across the full court. That's exactly what Gilbert was doing in that. That was perfect defense mm. by Gilbert. He did absolutely I, nothing wrong. I thought I thought it was a foul in the contact. I had a much bigger issue with Jordan McCabe's fifth. That was a much uh, worse call, not because, well, for two reasons. One. Well, one, they don't call that like ever. Right. So Jordan McCabe got called for a foul because he ran into a guy setting a screen. First off, it's not a foul to run into a guy setting a screen. That's the point of the screen. That's why they do screen. That's why they do screen. Now, if you just blow the guy up, they'll call a foul on you. But he he, he did. He he barely made contact with him. They like hip checked each other. Yeah. The reason that that's a horrific call and. You could only see this on the overhead angle. You couldn't see it from the court level. ETN, who was who McCabe was guarding, actually pushes Jordan McCabe into the screen. Like that was a James Harden type. I'm going to make you foul me or my teammate here. ETN pushed McCabe into the screen, and the refs called the foul on McCabe. Not a chance in hell that was a foul. No. And the one on Gilbert's not either. Neither one of those is a foul call. Now, here's the thing. The game-winning points were scored off what I think is a horrific call. Jordan McCabe, who probably UNLV's best player last night, got fouled out on a horrific call. I do not believe in the idea that those cost UNLV the game. 
Kevin no. Kruger said it afterwards that, no. hey, you know, he doesn't, he's not a believer in one play at the end makes or breaks anything. But here's some problems for UNLV. They had 18 turnovers in that game. Uh, UNLV gave up 10 offensive rebounds that led to 13 second chance points. That was their worst defensive rebounding game of the year by percentage. UNLV got 26 layup or dunk opportunities in that game. Very good number in terms of how many they got. They made 13 of them. They made 50% of their layups. There was one sequence down the stretch where I think they missed four or five at the rim. Hamilton missed a three. uh, Gilbert got an offensive rebound. Or no, Nuga got a steal, missed it. Gilbert got an offensive rebound, Mm -hmm. missed it. Um, And then maybe the biggest determining factor in this game, Wichita State's best player was better than UNLV's best player. ETN had 28 points. He hit six three-pointers in that game. A lot of tough ones, by the way. Bryce Hamilton got up to 18 points, but he was four of 12 shooting. He did most of his work at the free throw line. ETN was better than Hamilton. So why did UNLV lose that game? No, it's not because there was one call at the end that Wichita State got two free throws off of. It's more about all those reasonings, right? If UNLV makes a normal amount of free throw uh, uh, layups, they did make all their free throws. If UNLV makes a normal amount of layups, right? Instead of going 13 to 26, if they're 16 to 26, 18 to 26, right? That'd be around the national average on layups. That there is no last play. There is no last call. If you know he doesn't turn the ball over 18 times, there is no last play. There's no last foul call that gives Wichita State game-winning free throws. Game's over before the final 60 seconds, but they didn't do that. You know, and we can disagree on that foul. I just think when you're up 11 in the second half, you have to find a way. Right, you absolutely You, you have they, to find a way when you're up 11 in the second half. I don't care about calls, what have you. You have to find a way to win that game, and they didn't. Now, they, they did make some free throws in this stretch, but they went 10 minutes without making a shot. The Keyshawn Gilbert put back in the final five seconds was the only made field goal attempt for UNLV in the last 10 minutes of the game. Again, they made some free throws in that stretch, so it's not like they just completely didn't score. They're up 11 in the second half. And they didn't make a field goal for the last 10, well, almost the entire last 10 minutes. Now, neither one of us has a really good look on this, so I don't know that either one of us is going to have a great opinion. What the hell happened after the final play? Okay, we know that the one assistant, Carlin. So the main thing I saw is after Josh Baker slipped. And they thought it was a foul. Carlin Hartman, one of the assistant coaches, went running down the baseline towards that corner. Bryce Hamilton was also there. He turned and yelled, that's bull bleep. Um, At the officials. Yes. The one official. Carlin Hartman, though, ran down the baseline. Now, this is once he got to the corner, that's where people were standing up and I couldn't kind of see. All I see is the refs leave and then Carlin Hartman turns around. I don't know if he did anything, but he did run towards the referees. That was the main thing I was watching. Then the next thing I saw was Kevin Kruger shaking hands with Wichita State's coaches, right? Just normal post-game handshakes or whatever. And then all of a sudden, the players were there, and then everybody's just sort of pushing and shoving, and there's people trying to separate it. You were there live. I'm watching on TV. The game's over. They go to highlights of the game. You know how they end games with highlights? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> one of the announcers goes, wait a minute. <laughs> We've got a scrum at the midcourt. And I'm like, and sometimes TV, whether they're told by the producer to show it or not, I'm like, show it, show it. And they finally do. But by the time they show it, everyone's congregated at midcourt. I'm like, I don't know who got into who. From what I saw live and then what I saw on the TV broadcast, it honestly didn't look like anything actually happened. Like it, it looked more like people were just in each other's faces, like chest to chest, and right. Pro- something coaches was probably, saying get off the something floor. Something was probably said or right. whatever that somebody right. took offense to, but it didn't. It, it didn't appear as though there were any like physical, you know, confrontation. It was just people were standing next to each other. Um, 
Wichita State's coach after the game said he didn't really know what happened or what led to Which that. Which I probably agree with. Yeah. And he probably has no idea. Kevin Kruger basically gave the same answer. He said he didn't really know what started it, but he also was like, not that it's normal, but, you know, high-tension game. Yeah. Stuff like that. He said it wasn't anything that was, like, bad, right? So I don't think anything happened that's, like, a, a, a problem. But, again, you kind of didn't see everything. Maybe there was something said. I I couldn't even tell you who the aggressors were. I don't even know I have who no the idea. I saw on Twitter, and they're guessing, too. I'm sorry. They're guessing. Oh, it was a UNLV assistant coach. No, it was a Wichita State coach. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? They got him off the floor. Both coaches did a good job of, you know, and the assistants did as well, holding players back, and everyone's pumping their chests out and holding their chests out, and they got him off the floor. Wichita State coach is just yelling at his kids, get off, get off. And that's fine. There are no punches thrown. Nothing egregious happened. So, like I said, 74-73 is at the final. And, you know, you have these calls in the end that, every you know, both sides disagree with. So, things happen. But I have no idea what started it. I couldn't tell you what it started. And unless someone admits to it, we might not know what started it. <laughs> I just enjoy the idea of, like, the two head coaches are sitting there shaking each other's hands. And then they look over and they go, oh, God, there's a fight. <laughs> It appeared that they didn't know. Yeah, it appeared that the two guys who were completely in charge of their teams really had no idea how it started. Because I think it did start in the in the handshake line. It had to have. Or I don't. Or know they actually they're walking off the to, court and yeah. someone says something. I don't think they actually got to the handshake line. The players, anyways, before that actually happened. So I don't know. But it was a chaotic ending. Now, could have we gotten the Nevada coming back down the hallway scene? Oh, in the fire hydrant oh, after losing oh, Utah State. Oh, that's such a and pouring out of the locker room. <laughs> My God, that is one of Kruger the best pulling videos. pulling a muscleman and taking the shirt off. Oh, that's one of the best videos I've ever seen. Is Nevada? <laughs> Remember that? Yes, they were all the way in, weren't they? Yes, Nevada was all the way they into were their in. locker room, and and they came out. Someone said something. Jordan, they somebody came. said something, and Jordan Caroline came <laughs> screaming <laughs> out of there. And the funniest part of that video is that everybody else is in the locker room. There's, like, some poor assistant. I don't even think he's a assistant. He's probably, like, a grad assistant who's, like, trying to, like, hold them from running out of the locker room, and eventually he just breaks and everybody comes flowing out. The, the poor student manager. Yes. Little Jimmy, who all he's doing for it is class credit, oh, and he's supposed is, to hold these guys yes. back as they come at him. It's one of the best videos. Think about you're the janitor, and you're, like, just sweeping the hallway, and then all of a sudden, George <laughs> Caroline just... and that Nevada team start coming down the hall. I would just be like, I oh. hope I, like, could blend in. All right, I do want to wrap up with one thing because that poor call robbed us of some fun storylines. <laughs> uh, Keyshawn Gilbert, he had eight points in this game. He had six points off offensive rebound yeah, putbacks. They were like hustle. They were hustle plays. He's were, the backup yeah. point guard, yeah. and he had six points off of offensive rebound. I mean, he's six four. It's not like he's tiny out there. But what? How did that guy have six points off offensive rebound? Incredible. Keyshawn Gilbert, there's a lot of plays he makes in a game where you're like, ah, yikes, that was really bad. Uh, he'll have a, he's going to keep doing that. going to have a handful of turnovers. He's going to have some bad defensive plays. But Keyshawn Gilbert's a guy that I think is going to be really good for UNLV. Defensively, they're already giving him the task of guarding the opposing play, uh, opposing team's best player. That's happening a lot already. And offensively, if, if he can find ways to score like that, because he's never going to be the number one option, not on this team. He's not even going to be the number two, number three option, right? If they can find ways for Keyshawn Gilbert to find to heat where he finds ways to score points, where it's just random loose balls, creating turnovers and getting layups or getting offensive rebounds, 
I like Keyshawn Gilbert a lot. I think that's that's a. I like him. I disagree with the one tweet I saw this morning. It says I hope he sticks around for more than one year. <laughs> kind of disagree with that tweet. You don't want him to stick around for more than I, one year. I do. I think. I think oh. it's obvious he will. Yes. I, think I don't think there's. I don't think there's a pro. I think the insin- well, that's year. what I'm saying. I think the insinuation yeah. was that he better stick around for one year and not go to the league. I, that was the insinuation. I don't think that's happening. No, that's I why I said uh, he'll be around for at least one more year. At least one more year. At least. <laughs> All right. Coming up next. Oh, we got another loss to talk about. Ariza standing in his own 21. He's 69 yards away from Noel Williams. Gets the kick away. Williams is at going to let the ball bounce at the four, and it bounces back toward the ten, and it's down at the seven. That guy's unbelievable when he punts the ball. There's the snap. Rodgers back to throw, avoids the rush. The pass is intercepted by San Diego State at the 40-yard line, and moving up and finally getting tackled near midfield, making the interception was Cedric Lakalala, the linebacker, and that's it. A great effort by the Rebels. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. I actually think we, you should have just had punt highlights over and over. I actually have multiple punt highlights <laughs> if you want me to like, scramble for that while during the segment. Yeah, later in the show. Russ is right. That guy's unbelievable. Like you, it was also one of those, you knew that that's like their best guy yeah. coming in, but still well, seeing uh, it. Whoa! Uh, how many times do you hear an announcer say he's 69 yards? Like, yeah, he'll go in the, he'll, he'll, he'll knock it in the, within the 10. Sure. Six punts, four downed inside the 20, I believe. <laughs> yes. Uh, he actually hurt his average for the season because he kept trying to pin him. Yeah, yeah he kept San, trying to pin him inside San Diego the 20. State, they were at midfield the entire game. So he's average because he couldn't just bomb it from his own goal line to the other goal line. Uh, yeah, Arise is unbelievably good as a punter. Unbelievably it's just, good. It's just such a weird, like, Who's your best player? Well, it's probably our running back. Yours? The punter. The punter. <laughs> You're going to start every possession from your own <laughs> and, five. And, which is amazing because if you say the punter, you usually think a team's one and ten. They're ten and one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you run out of steam around the 30. You've had to go 20 yards. So, UNLV ends up losing to San Diego State 28-20. to Another one-possession loss for UNLV. Another close loss. They've had a season full of close losses this year, they're now two and nine. Uh, but Marcus Arroyo did his team no favors in trying to win this game. He kicked two field goals from inside the five yard line, one on the first play of the drive or first drive of the game, I should say, and another when they were down 21 to 17 late in the third quarter. He elected inside the five yard line, fourth and goal, to kick field goals in those two scenarios. Now, the great Contrast that we have Brady Hoke on the other sideline, fourth down and one final four minutes. San Diego State's up by one. They can send their field goal kicker out there, Mr. Ariza, to make a field goal, make it a four point game. But what does Brady Hoke do? He decides, no, no, we're going for this. We're going to pick this up and run the clock and eventually score a touchdown there to take an eight point, which they did. That's the difference in the game is that Brady Hoke and San Diego State got aggressive on a fourth and short inside UNLV territory while Marcus Arroyo continues to be passive and not try to go for it, not try to win games by scoring points. And I don't know. You can tell me. I don't know how much this has to do with it, but you're 2-8. and It should have a lot to do with it. You're 2-8. and And also, look, I mean, 
San Diego State's not going to score 40. Uh, so people are going to come back and say, well, you know, do you need touchdowns to beat them? Look, they're 10-1. and one. So they're going to score enough, and they're they're good defensively, although with Justin Rogers, they didn't look great defensively the other night. We'll talk about Justin Rogers. But you have to go for touchdowns. And you're 2-8. and eight, You're playing the number one team in co- the conference. You're playing a ranked team. Do everything you can to put as much pressure on them as possible. And by kicking this field goals, you're not really putting much pressure on them. I just... I don't know. I I I don't get it. Especially especially when you went down there to start the game off. Good I mean, drive. How good Great would it drive. be to get a touchdown yeah. there and go up seven zero? And then San Diego State's like, oh okay, we got to answer here. And but three probably San Diego State's walking off the field saying we win that drive. They settled for three. Arroyo has multiple games, multiple times this season, made a coaching decision to keep the scoreboard pretty as opposed to try to win the game. Yeah which is effectively what those two decisions were. He wanted to keep the scoreboard as pretty as possible. That's what those decisions are. And I don't know if it's because he wants to say at the end of the year, hey, we lost five one-possession games and we're a few plays away from having four, five, six wins on the season. I don't know if he puts stock in that. He's going to say, well, we don't believe in moral victories. But he might. He might be saying to himself, hey, look how close we were because I kicked all those field goals because I was very passive. But it's just I don't know exactly what the game plan is. And when you are two and eight, who cares if you lose to a top twenty-five team by thirty points or by eight right. points? It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. You should be trying to win the game. Like pull off the upset. An eight point loss, San Diego State doesn't do anything for you. By the way, as you say here in the roundup, we're Justin Rogers. What was that? What was that? That was unbelievable. Three oh five on fifteen of twenty one. They the- should have started him at the beginning of the season. <laughs> <laughs> he was the first the first UNLV quarterback to throw for 300 plus since 2018. Like, and he didn't I mean, play the first him. quarter. He didn't play the first quarter because Cameron Friel got the start and got hurt. Ironically, like you said, where's it come? Where was he earlier in the season? Ironically, he then does it against the best defensive right. team in the entire conference. Right. Like, Justin Rogers started this year and we saw him for what, three games before they finally stopped playing him? He was awful. Yeah. It was like, how this, how, how is this guy on the field? And Friday, he's amazing he was the other night. Incredible, yeah, incredible against San Diego State. Like they almost won because Justin Rogers was like, "Yeah, I'm the best quarterback <laughs> in this conference."